All right. I want to dive right in because I have a lot to share today, but if you were not here last week, I highly recommend you grab the message on our podcast because this is sort of a part two to that, and there's going to be some things that I share today that might make a little bit more sense if you heard it um, last week, but last week we shared what we feel like God is calling us to for 2019, which is, do you guys remember, it's rise, no? Rise up and build. That's what we feel like the Lord has called us to this year. And what we believe that looks like is you building your personal life and then all of us coming together with our giftings to build together. And we are so excited about what God is doing in this um, theme. And it goes beautifully along with the, the overarching vision he's given us as a church. And so today what I wanted to do was I wanted to share about a little bit more in depth of the four pillars that we mentioned last week. So if you're not familiar with this, we received the call, I guess is the best way to say it, from the Lord in 2012, November of 2012, to come to Oklahoma City and plant this church. And we spent several months, around six months, just really asking the Lord, what does that look like to you? What kind of church do you want us to plant um, and we felt like the Lord gave us almost like a blueprint, a very clear and um, strategic strategy of what this church was supposed to be like. And so we sort of unapologetically are not like other churches, and we're okay with that. Um, and so one of the things that the Lord showed us was that the bedrock of the ground that we were supposed to create for this church was God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, all three um, equally celebrated and interacted with and recognized. And as you all have known, there are churches who have a little bit more of an emphasis on one or the other or, you know, none. <laughs> Hopefully those churches are not doing well. Um, just kidding, sort of. Anyways, so, uh, but so, you know, we wanted a place, we felt like God was saying, I want a place where I can be free to be myself. So the father being able to, to call his sons and daughters to him and, and being able to interact and understand his heart as a father and, and same with Jesus and same with Holy Spirit. So that's sort of the, the baseline foundation of the bedrock of what we are as a church. And then on top of that was the fivefold ministry coming in and sort of laying their lives down. And so I mentioned this last week, but we don't really look at the fivefold ministry as five different people that we call apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. What we look at the fivefold ministry as is who is God calling to help us be that voice as we are building. So, you know, on our team, when we make decisions for the church, it's not just my decisions or Grant's decisions. We have people who have these, these expressions of gifting in their life, um, specifically for the church, that speak into that alongside of us, and that's important for us. And so I shared all of that with you guys last week, and then on top of that foundation were the four pillars that the Lord had said. And the four pillars were love, prayer and worship, equip and release, and God's radical heart for rescue. And so today what I wanted to do was sort of dive into that and kind of talk through what does that even mean. And so I want us to look at the four pillars not necessarily as um, just things, right? Like you know what love is. We don't want to look at it just one-dimensionally. I want you to look at it as sort of the corners that hold our culture together, or another way you could look at it is sort of the pathway of transformation that God takes us down. And so I want to say before I dive into what they are, I want to say a little bit about culture. So I'm not talking about culture like um, we are cultured, you know, like we sip tea with our pinky out and stuff like that, if you know that phrase. That's not what I mean. But I mean the culture is sort of the, the byproduct of accepted behavior. You guys tracking with me? Everything has a culture. Your house has a culture. Your marriage has a culture. Your parenting style has a culture. What does that look like? That looks like the things that you let slide and the things that you don't inadvertently create an atmosphere, 
right? And sometimes we do this unknowingly, and sometimes we do this really intentionally. So I remember being a kid and not necessarily loving the culture that I was raised in. And I remember thinking, okay, when I turn 18 and I move to college, I want to create my own environment. I want to define for myself with God what does it look like to have a family that's on mission for the kingdom. And I can tell you firsthand experience, it's not something that just happens without intention, right? If you've ever tried to accomplish a goal, you know it doesn't just unfold itself for you. You have to be um, a little bit strategic about that. So in our home, one of the things that we really value is, you know, mutual respect. That's a big deal to us. So it's a big deal that our kids treat each other with respect, that we treat them with respect, that Grant and I, you know, all the different components of that. So what is it, what it looks like is when we start to veer from the culture we want to set, then we have to acknowledge that, right? It's okay that happens as we grow in life. Things, you know, take left turns and whatnot, but it's important to stop and say, okay, wait a second, how are we doing with this culture that we're trying to set? Are we actually hitting the mark or are we just way off and we're just not saying anything about it? Okay, so what we're gonna talk about today is the four pillars through the lens of how it affects the culture of us as a church. We've never talked about this expression of it before, but we have really in-depth teachings on our podcast of each of these four pillars and also the fivefold ministry. So if that's something that piques your interest, you can find that um, online on the Apple or the Android Podbean app. Um, but I want to dive in first to our first pillar, which is love. So again, as you're listening to me, I want you to be thinking about how is um, how does this affect the culture that we are creating? Because today we're talking about who God has called us to be as a church, right? It doesn't have to be that every church out there is exactly like us, but we want to be true to the thing that God has called us to. So the first pillar that he gave us is this pillar of love. And you know, as you should be familiar with, 1 John 4, 7 says, God is love. And so love is sort of one of those terms, especially as Christians, that we think we totally understand. Like, oh, God is love. And there's an aspect of this where when you are encountering God, or you are experiencing his presence, then you are experiencing love because God is love, right? But there's a whole depth of range within that statement that we want to really talk about today. So here's what it looks like. God loves us first, right? First John 4, 19, we love the Lord because he first loved us. So he is love and he draws you into him. And then sometimes we have a tendency to stop right there. But what the Lord wants is that as we connect with his presence, like we did in worship today, for example, as we spend time connecting with his presence, his love is actually like a force that transforms us. The force is real, guys. The force, God is, his love is the most powerful force on the earth. And I love this about the Lord because there's something about who he is that when we recognize our, our place in him, it begins to change us. And so what we're going for here as a church and one of our like core beliefs, our core pillars, is that you would be transformed by the love of God. Not just become aware of it, not just say, Lord, I love you, but, it doesn't, but you kind of keep walls up, right? But that we say, Lord, I want to be wrecked and drenched and transformed by your love. And then when you're transformed by that, you begin to be able to give it away to other people. McCoby said this so brilliantly a couple weeks ago when he was sharing, when he was talking about, you know, the Bible tells us to love our neighbor like ourselves. But if you don't really love yourself, you can't really love your neighbor. You can only give them the counterfeit or the fake or the partial type of love you have for yourself over to them, right? If we want to really transform the earth for the gospel, we have to be transformed by God into his image, 
Spoiler alert, that's what you're here on earth to become. Did you know that? To be made into the likeness of Jesus. That's what everything happening in your life is happening for, to teach you to become more like him, and God is love. So how do we know if we are doing, uh, if we're being transformed by love? One of the things that happens is we begin to find it easy to forgive. That doesn't mean it's always easy to forgive, but it becomes a little bit easier when the love and the power of God is transforming us. Uh, We are finding ourselves easy, let's see, it is easier to honor other people, especially those that are different from us. Because now we love ourselves and we understand our uniqueness and so it's easier to give that away to other people. Right? I want to have the freedom to be who I am in God, and because I value that about myself, I can absolutely value that about you. One of the other things that it looks like is um, compassion, being moved by love. Right, And then the other thing that it looks like is speaking the truth. The Bible tells us we're supposed to speak the truth in hate. Wait, no. Right? All of you guys are like, wait, what? No, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. We're supposed to have the guts to say, listen, I love you enough to say this is not good for you. That's what parenting is like if you are parents. You know, one of the um, things the Lord was speaking in our pre-service prayer time this morning, I loved it, was she was saying, uh, you know, God disciplines the ones he loves. And it just dawned on me in that moment, I never have thought about it like this, that, you know, when I, when I say discipline to my children, what I'm really saying is training. That's the word we use because make, it makes sense to them. And so I'm saying, I'm training you to be who I know you really are. I'm training you to become and to do the things that God wants you to do, right? And that's what God is doing with us. He's disciplining us, but he's training us. He's teaching us, listen, this is who you are, and this is how I want you to be. So the love pillar, it looks like encountering the love of God, receiving it into yourself, being transformed by it, and then letting that seep out on everybody else. If we just stopped there, we would have worldwide revival if we all did this, right? Like, it's hard. It's not an easy thing. And I think sometimes, especially as Christians, and when you're familiar with kind of Christian culture, we keep it on a head level where we're like, yeah, I love, I love you, yeah, I love you. But secretly in our heart, I don't love you. Or I'm not feeling the love right now, right? And so part of the thing that, about the love of God is that it transforms us to be authentic about where we really are. So as we're talking about who we are as a church and the culture that we're creating, one of our big core values is authenticity. It's important to us that you are who you are that you're not trying to hide who you are in the process of being transformed. That's hard, like I recognize that. That's not an easy thing. But it's really powerful when we choose to do that. So that's the love pillar. So I've got a question for you. I'm gonna you know, ask a question about each pillar. But the first one is, how are you doing encountering the love of God? Because again, the pillars is sort of our process of transformation. It's sort of the way that we gauge how are we doing becoming like Jesus. And so one of the questions that it's good for us to ask sometimes is just go, you know, has it been a while since I felt like I encountered the love of God? That's okay if it has. Just ask him, hey, Lord, I'd like to encounter you again. I did want to say one thing, and I feel like the Lord put this on my heart for you guys. You know, sometimes when we're in a high-stress environment where we, we come to recognition, I haven't felt your love in a really long time, Lord, and I want to feel it, and I want to feel it right now. I'm not, I'm not feeling it, Lord. And then we start to go into this like, ah, type thing in our brain. And then it almost sometimes makes us distance ourselves from the Lord even more, right? What I felt like the Lord wanted to do today was just call a spade a spade and say, listen, sometimes when we're like in a demanding state, it's not the best time to receive from the Lord. We all get into those times, so there's no shame on this whatsoever. But if you find yourself feeling like, man, I need to encounter your love, it's a good idea to say, Lord, I'm opening my heart to you in your timing. I trust you. Meet with me. 
So that way we're not like holding on, you know, and then just leading ourselves to disappointment because sometimes the Lord, it's just not possible for him to meet you right then for all kinds of things we don't really know, right? So we trust his timing and we ask him to meet with us. All right, the second pillar that I want to talk about today is our prayer and worship pillar. We don't say this enough around here, but we should. It's that prayer is the beginning of all things. Did you know that? Prayer is the beginning of all things. And so everything you see that's good in your life is the result of somebody praying. It might be your mom, might be your grandma, it might be you praying over yourself 10 years ago, one shoot up to the Lord and you didn't even know he was hearing you and counting that prayer. It might be somebody else, a pastor, somebody that knows you praying for you, or it might be Jesus himself because Jesus is now an intercessor before the throne of God, right? Everything in life begins with prayer. And so when I look at the prayer and worship pillar, to me, I actually look at it like the interaction. Like if love is how we are, is our identity, prayer and worship is the place where we learn to interact with the Lord. And so when we pray, we're praying like Jesus did. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, Right? And in fact, he took it so far to say, if you've heard me, you've heard the Father speaking, which would imply that he actually only said what the Father was saying. So one of the things you can do if you want to have a successful prayer life is instead of you starting your own prayers, ask the Lord, God, how do you want me to pray about this situation? I don't know about you, but when something is unfolding that needs prayer, you guys know what I'm saying, right? Something is unfolding, you're like, this is not good, I need to pray, I need to pray. Sometimes we can just start saying, oh, here's what I see that needs to change, and I'm going to start praying and praying. And those are great. The Lord hears those prayers. But there's something really powerful when we get connected to God as our dad, and we say, what is your will in this situation? That's the model that Jesus actually invited us into. A couple of years ago, I had a situation unfold around me, and I was sort of like connected through relationship, but it wasn't my issue, and it just this whole group of people, it just imploded into this mass chaos. And to be honest, I was really angry about the situation and I didn't really want to pray because I was just sort of mad. Anybody ever feel like that sometimes? I'm like, clearly I should be praying about this, but I'm just a little frustrated. And, um, and so we actually had a prayer night that night and I came to the Lord and I said, God, I don't even know how to pray for this situation. I don't even want to pray because clearly all the things I've been praying for these people isn't working. I just said, what do you want me to pray? And I instantly saw this picture. And in the picture, all the people involved were completely face down with their arms out, which you know to me is the sign of surrender, around the cross in a circle. I thought, oh, that is not going to happen, Lord. There's just no way. I know some of these people really well, right? And the Lord said, you want to know what I want you to pray? This is what I want you to pray. Complete surrender to my will for all these people. I said, all right, Lord. And so that's what I just started praying. I would call them out by name. I would say, Lord, for so-and-so, teach them how to surrender to you. Lord, for this person, for all of us involved, teach us how to surrender to your will. And that's what I prayed. And it's not because of me, just only. But what the Lord began to do was he brought each of these people to a place of surrendering to his lordship, and that's how the situation was resolved. And it's crazy But it's true, because this is how Jesus taught us to pray, right? God, what are you doing in this situation? So when we're talking about the prayer and worship pillar, we're talking about learning to interact with the Lord. And also, can I just be like kind of gutsy just for 10 seconds with you guys? It's it's one of you is nodding, thank you. So uh, I'll take that as permission for everybody. Um, No, I, I, I think it's true. If we were to tune into each other's prayer lives, we would know how you're doing with the Lord. Right? Why? Because the way you pray reflects how you trust God. 
It just is, right? If I'm begging God and I'm like so anxious and nervous, and that's sort of how we start sometimes in our journey with the Lord. Like, I don't know, Lord, you just have to do this and you have to do this. And there's so much like fear and anxiety that comes out in our prayer. That's an indicator, man, I need to be drenched in the love of God. I need to trust you, Lord. I need to be, you know, I need to put my faith that you are going to take care of this situation. And so your prayer life is often an indicator of how you're really doing. So one of my questions to you today is, how is your prayer life? I shared this with you guys last week, but you know, years ago, I actually really didn't have a prayer life. I prayed on Sundays, I prayed at church gatherings, but on my own personally, I was kind of bored by prayer. Can I just be honest and say that? Surely I'm not the only one in the room that's ever felt that way. It kind of felt like I was just talking to the wall and my words would just go and just fall flat, you know? And I remember saying to the Lord, I feel like this is not right. I need you to teach me how to pray. And oh my word, over the course of that year, the Lord taught me how to pray in the most unique ways. A lot of it would look like me driving. I'll tell you one story. Um, I was driving down the road and the Lord would just tell me, just pray. And actually he would say, just pray in the spirit while you drive down this portion of the road. I was like, okay, it makes no sense, but that's how we obey what the Lord is saying, right? So I would do that every day, every day. Well, a few months later, um, somebody I kind of knew acquaintance-wise stopped me, sent me a Facebook message actually, and said, there's something about you And I don't really understand, but there's something about your relationship with Jesus that I need in my life. Would you be willing to, like, get lunch with me and talk to me about it? Uh, yes. That's, like, not even evangelism, right? Like, you invited me. That's the best kind of evangelism there is. And so we had lunch together, and you know what I found out? She literally lived exactly on that portion of the street that I had been praying over for months. Talk about crazy right? You just don't know when you're obedient to what the Lord is telling you to pray. You just don't know the power that's on the other end of it. Bill Johnson says it this way. Years ago, he said, if I have an hour to pray, I'll spend 45 minutes in worship and 15 minutes in prayer. You think, why? Why would you do that? You know, Because when you are connected with what God wants, your prayers are that much more impactful. So that's a little bit about the prayer pillar. And the worship component of the prayer and worship is worship is the place that we interact with the Lord, right? Love, prayer, and worship, they're all kind of in the same theme of encountering the presence of God. But there's something about our worship where we are actually transformed. Let me put it to you this way. When you are meeting somebody and and getting a new relationship in your life, there's always that sort of awkward phase at the beginning where you're like, do we fit? Do we, are we the same, right? And you maybe go have coffee together and you're kind of asking questions and you're kind of trying to gauge, maybe subconsciously even, are we the same, And then you get to that point where you're like, oh, we like all the same things. This is so great. And then you get to that point where you can just be together in a room and all the pressure and the thoughts are gone and you're just there, right? I have no expectation of what you're going to do for me. I'm not, you know, you don't for me. We're just together. We're just enjoying each other's company. And that's a great relationship, whether it's a marriage or a friend or whoever, right? That's a little bit like what worship is. We come into worship and sometimes we're kind of like, I don't know, Lord, how do you feel about me? (laughs) How do you feel about how my week has been going? You know, how do you, and we have all these thoughts. And if we continue to press in, we will get to this sort of breaking point where it's like all of a sudden now I can let my guard down with you, Lord. I can let go of all the distractions, all the frustrations, and I can be in your presence. When we get to that point of being in his presence, real life change happens. You become transformed into his image because you are with him. See, what it looks like to follow Jesus is not that we're always asking him for something or expecting him to do something. It's actually when we get to that place of just being with him. And from the place of being with him, things start to flow out of us, but only in that order. If we're trying to do and do and do and do so that we can feel something from God, we've got our wires crossed. 
And so when we worship, one of the best things we can do is try to get to that sweet spot as soon as possible. At least that's how I look at worship. You know, you, you're free to make your own process with the Lord. But for me, I'm like, I got to get all the thoughts out of my mind. I want to focus my attention right on you. Because if I can get past that little breaking point of, ah, in my soul, then I can get into that place where I am just unencumbered before the Lord. I love the story of David where he's coming back and his wife sees him from the window and he's dancing in front of the ark and he's making a fool out of himself. And she's so, ah, about it. She actually marches out of the window and comes and meets him on the road. That's a bad sign, man, when your wife can't even wait for you to get into the house to yell at you. She's got to, like, come to you, right? And she's going, what are you doing? You're making a fool of yourself, basically. And he looks at her, and he's like, oh, this is my paraphrase. I haven't even begun to make a fool of myself, lady. And what is he saying? He's saying, listen, I love God so much that I would stand here naked worshiping for God. And she's so offended, which I, mean, I probably would be, too, if that was the scenario. You're like, I'm sorry, What? But what he's saying is, I am so compelled by the presence of God, I just don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to worship my God. One of the things I love about our culture here is that we are a passionate people, and I know you guys know that. If you've been here for like one song, you get that about us, right? But there's something about when we say, Lord, you deserve all the energy let me put it this way. It's Super Bowl Sunday, right? So some of you guys, I hope your team is playing tonight. I don't even know who's playing tonight. That's how much I like football. And, um, but here's the thing. I do watch football from time to time. I watch basketball on rare occasion when the Lord is ready for his return. And um, on those moments, if I like the team playing, I get a little excited, right? What do we do when your team scores? You're jumping off the couch. You're like, yeah. What do you do when they don't score? When the other team scores, you're like, God, and you have a response to it. Don't you know if your body is capable of responding to sports, your body is capable of responding to worship. Can I just say that just for a second? Why? Because there's something about accessing the passion that is within you and giving it to God that transforms who you are. So I'm not asking you to make a fool out of yourself for the sake of making a fool out of yourself. I'm asking you to come before the Lord and say, God, you have my full attention, and I'm not paying attention to anybody else. And if that's like, how could I ever do that? That's okay. Focus on his love. Let his love transform you, you know? So my question to you about worship is this. Are you satisfied with how worship is going in your life? Are you satisfied? Because I know for me, I come to points where I'm like, man, I've really, I, I'm not as focused as I was at, you know, this conference or whatever. I, I want to encounter that again. There's something for me personally, and I'm just going to tell it to you like it is for me because I'm sure some of you guys are like this. You know, I love having a physical response to the presence of the Lord, meaning I love when I can feel the passion coming through right? When the presence of the God comes, presence of the God? No. When the presence of God comes and it's like you just feel it, it shifts something in you and you're like, you know, for me, my hands have to just start like going because I just feel so excited. And I love that because it helps me connect with the Lord. And so for me, one of the ways that I am gauging, how am I doing? How am I doing, Lord, is when was the last time I let your presence overtake me? You know, it's not like every single time I worship, I have that response. I'm just being really honest with you guys. But I'm gauging that. I'm, I'm gauging that because especially as a culture, it's like this is something that's so important to us, interacting with the Lord, letting him be who he is and us being free and under, unencumbered before him. And that's what we're going for here. That's one of the things the Lord's called us to build. So, all right. So we've got love. We've got prayer and worship. Yeah. And then we've got our equip and release pillar. 
And I shared a little bit about this with you guys last week, but essentially what we believe we're called to do is not just teach you what to do, but give you opportunity to do it, however we can. Jesus modeled this. He would teach the disciples and then he would send them out, right? Some, somehow in our American church, I'm not talking about any churches in particular, I'm just straight up saying as a culture in America, we've kind of become like absorbers and hearers of the word and doing the word is not much of a priority to us. But unfortunately, the Bible tells us in James 1.22 that we're not supposed to just be hearers of the word. We're supposed to actually be doers of the word. And if you want to grow in your faith with the Lord, and this year I hope you do, our goal is to build, to build your life on the kingdom, then you need to start doing some of the things the Lord has been speaking to you. It doesn't really matter what it looks like. You know, it may fall flat. What God is looking for is are you willing to actually obey? It's a really powerful thing. I love that Jesus modeled this for us because as a leader, I shared this last week, but as a leader, sometimes it can be nerve-wracking when somebody says, I feel like God's put something on my heart. Can I do that? You know, I'm like, yeah. Most of the time, I'll say, yeah, no problem, you know, because it's important to us that you are responding to what the Lord is saying. But as I was praying over this message, and specifically this part, I felt like the Lord wanted me to do something that, just to be completely frank, is a little uncomfortable for me, but I want to sort of um, pull the curtain back a little bit on what it's like to be a pastor, and I, I feel like the Lord wants to um, bring some healing to some people. I don't know who you are, but, um, but from what I'm about to say. And what I want to do is I want to apologize to you on behalf of any pastor or leader that you've served under that has not um, allowed you to do the thing that you feel like God has put in your heart. Or through fear, or through fear of what somebody else was going to think about them, said, tried to stifle the dream that God had put in you. And I want to take responsibility on behalf of my brothers and sister pastors out there and apologize to you for that. Because at the end of the day, our job as leaders in the church is to put our own insecurities aside for the sake of his kingdom. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes. I can tell you that, you know, it's, it's hard to wonder what are people going to think about me if I let you do something that's different than what I would do. But that's such garbage thinking, if I'm just being frank. And so when those thoughts come up, it's our job as pastors and leaders to get rid of them and to not let them cause us to make decisions. But I know that there are situations that have happened where the Lord puts something in your heart and when you bring it up to the person and, and through whatever reason, insecurity, fear, whatever, they're like, I don't really want you to do that. And I think for some of us, what's happened, this is what I feel like the Lord was saying, for some of us, it's actually caused us to doubt if God was leading you. When God was leading you, it was just their issue affecting that. Does that make sense? And so I, would, I, I just would ask you in your heart to, to not quit doing because of one person's opinion. Amen. To not quit doing because of one church's perspective. I saw a quote actually this morning um, on Facebook, which was interesting after the Lord had told me to say this, um, that said, you know, you don't quit going out to eat just because you had one bad experience at a restaurant. Right? But sometimes because our souls are sacred, our, our heart is important. So sometimes when people like hurt that, it is really hard to get back up again. So I'm just really saying on behalf of the Lord and on behalf of my fellow pastors, we're sorry. I'm sorry. They should be sorry. I hope they are. And the other thing I want to say as we kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and give you sort of the inner workings of how it is to be in ministry, the Lord has given us a really specific vision of what we're supposed to build. And I think that most 
churches are aware of that. They might not be able to articulate it very much, but I think we're all sort of aware of that. And so it gets kind of tricky to say, hey guys, we want to release you to do the thing that God wants you to do. And the implication is you can do that through the church. And the challenge is when we're looking at the vision, sometimes it's going, what God has put in you is amazing. It's just not exactly the vision that we're supposed to be doing. And that is such a hard place to say, no, but it's not a no for what God has said to you. It just might be a no for the vision and the season that God has us in. Does that make sense? So I'm not saying this because I'm saying no to anything you guys are feeling in your heart. I'm just saying this because I felt like the Lord wanted me to sort of peel the curtain back a little bit to show you a little bit about how this works. Because when we say equip and release, what we mean is we are... Um, Wanting to have a culture where when God is speaking something to you, instead of all of us questioning, was that really the Lord? We all get behind you and say, hey, even if you fail, we will pick you up on the back end. We will make a promise. We're not going to judge you. We're actually going to honor you for stepping out in faith in that way. Right? It's, it's, it's not easy. Can I just say that? It requires you being really transformed by the love of God to be able to do that. But we want to be a support however we can. And the last thing I want to say about that is, to me, one of the things that looks like is, I think statistically it's like 1% of all people are called to actually do ministry in the context of a church. That means 99% of all people are called by God to do something that God sees as ministry, just not necessarily in the context of the church. So we have to have a kind of paradigm shift to look at it and say, listen, has God put that on your heart? That's awesome. Let's ask the Lord. Is that something we're supposed to do here? Or is that something we're supposed to champion you, send you messages, take you out to lunch, hear about the, the dream that God's put in your heart, pray over it, give when we can, support it, and be a body together? That's what we're really going for. All right, so we can take your seatbelts off, relax a little bit. Um, the last pillar I want to share, actually, before I say the last pillar, the, the question I have for you in this is, what equipping do you need, and are you doing something about it? And the reason why I share that is because, um, you know, sometimes we're expecting everybody to come to us and give us the thing we need training in, and it just doesn't always happen that way. Grant and I are really committed to being right in tune with what the Lord is doing in this season as a church, which means, like, for example, we don't offer Bible studies at the moment. Not because we don't love Bible studies. We love Bible studies. It's just not where God has us as a church. So if you're like, man, I need equipping in that, go for it. Grab it. Okay, great. Last pillar that I want to talk about is the rescue pillar. And, um, you know, God, we call it rescue, but really in our hearts, it's God's radical heart for rescue. And here's the reality is that God is always in the mood to restore somebody. Did you know that? God is always in the mood to bring redemption. He's never having a day where he's like, you again? <sighs> Eye roll. No, he's always in the mood of going, I'm ready. Let's do this together. In fact, Psalms talks about how he is ready and eager to give repent, to like receive repentance and to forgive people. I love that about the Lord. So when we're talking about God's radical heart for rescue, what we, what, and why we feel like that's like a pillar of our culture is that we feel like it's important to keep it before us, not feel like, it is important to keep it before us that there are people in the world that need rescuing. I'm not going to be so naive to assume that nobody in here needs rescuing. I think there might be some of you that are sitting here thinking, man, I need to be rescued today. And it might not just be salvation. Like sometimes, especially in the Bible Belt, we've like relegated rescue to did you pray the sinner's prayer? Great, you're good. Has <laughs> that ever worked for any of you guys? Like all of a sudden, you never need any help again the rest of your life? Because pray for me if that's the case, <laughs> right? 
But the reality is that we need to be taught by the Lord. We need to, be, to learn what it means to follow Jesus. We need to grow into that. And so everybody that's not on that track needs to be rescued into that track. I think if you walked down the street or Walmart or whatnot and you started asking people, you know, do you consider Jesus the Son of God, most people in our area would probably say yes. But the question is really, but have you made him Lord of your life? Are you really following him? Are you letting him transform who you are? That's what the gospel is for, right? It's not just to pray a prayer and then be like, great, fire insurance. That's not what the gospel is for. It's about transformation. It's about becoming like Jesus. And so God's radical heart for rescue is salvation for sure. But it's also those who are bound in the presence of God, those who are um, unable to stand on their own, God coming in and rescuing you and teaching you how to stand on your own. Amen. I should be hearing some amens about that one. Um, but I want to just acknowledge for a second, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I just kind of felt a prompt in my heart as I was praying over this message that, um, you know, if you're in this room today and you feel like you need rescuing, I want to share something with you. You guys know I'm sort of a brain science nerd. I really love neuroscience. I don't know why, because I don't consider myself academic, but I love this topic. And I was um, actually recently learning that in the 1970s, when the FBI was developing their hostage negotiation plan, they actually used neuroscience to come up with how they were going to um, do handle people who were keeping hostages. And, and so what they discovered was that negative thoughts and emotions actually rattle in your brain three to four times more intensely than any other thought you have. Interesting, huh? Negative thoughts and emotions, that could be things you feel about yourself, things you're afraid of, they feel three to four times more intense within you. This scientific study actually proved that 100% of the time, when that person would speak that negative thought out loud, immediately that feeling would dissipate. 100% of the time. Now, this is how the FBI developed their hostage negotiation strategy, okay? This isn't a pastor saying, I believe you should confess your sin to me. This is like brain science that led to, actually, it actually helps. They've used this plan in uh, hostage negotiation settings all over the world. It's crazy. And so what they do is they actually start listening to um, the person talk about what are you afraid of? What's really going on inside of your mind? And the negotiator will do their best to get that person to say it out loud, to put words to it, because if they will, it'll start to bring the heightened intensity level down. And if they can get them to say out loud all the different things they're feeling, then they can begin to diffuse the emotion of the situation and bring in some rational, rationale and logic. And what I felt like the Lord was saying for us about that this morning is that for some of us, we have like something rattling around in our mind and we are just so afraid to say it out loud. But saying it out loud is the way to bring you to that place of breakthrough. I think this is why Jesus talks about how important it is to confess our sin. It's not just that everybody that, um, that we need to like be transparent and vulnerable, but it's that something biologically happens when we're holding in darkness right? And so what I want to give you guys an invitation to this morning is, my, my challenge to you, I guess, is the way to say it, is that if you are here this morning and you're saying, man, I've been struggling with negativity, do not leave this room until you have said that out loud to somebody. Give God an opportunity to help release some of that pressure. You can grab a friend. You can come and tell me. It'll be completely confidential. You can say it to Grant if you want to do that. It'll be completely confidential. Or you can grab a friend and say, this is all you have to say. This is a cue for everybody in the room, okay? Social cue coming. I need to say something out loud to you. Simple, right? And then if you're the one somebody just said that to, that's your cue. I need to listen to what they're going to say. Sometimes when things are a fear, 
We're so afraid to voice them out loud because we don't know what's going to happen when we do. We don't know how we're going to be received. We don't know how we're going to be judged. We don't know that, right? So my encouragement to you is have that three seconds of courage to say the phrase, I need to say this out loud, and then let God take care of the rest because I promise you the intensity will dissipate. So that's one component. And then my last question for you guys in regards to the rescue pillar is who do you know that needs rescuing? Who do you know that needs rescuing? See, it might not be somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and sometimes we sort of dismiss those feelings because they don't, maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But who do you know that needs rescuing in your life? The Lord has placed you strategically where you are, in your neighborhood, the, pe- the grocery store you go to on a regular basis, the checkout people that you see, the, the friends you see you know, at different restaurants, your regular waitress, that kind of thing. Those are strategic setups from the Lord. And all it takes is just a few seconds of courage to say, hey, how are you really doing? And let the conversation open up. And if they're like, great, no one to talk, no big deal. Who else do you know in your life that needs rescuing? Because <laughs> that's what we're here to do, right? And the, the, the last, last thing I want to say about that is, and we're talking about in the context of our culture that we're building here at Bethel and what it looks like to carry a culture that, of God's radical heart for rescue, there will be people who come into our midst that need rescuing. And so we have to understand how to absorb the love of God to give to them so that we can help them right where they are. It's true. <laughs> so those are our four pillars. I know that's kind of like an interesting message for you, but I wanted to kind of go in depth with those things because, again, if we're talking about creating a culture and we're talking about intentionally creating a culture, these are the four categories that we're looking at. We have These are some of our core values as a church. We have some other core values, like, for example, family is a big core value to us. Knowing each other authentically in the context of family, that's important to us as a church. Um, and, and one of our core values is we're not afraid of your passion, Whatever your level of passion is, you know, we're not afraid of that. Um, and so when we look at these, these pillars and these core values, this is what we're going for. This is what God is helping us to build. This is how we are coming together and linking arms. So these questions that I'm asking you guys today, they're not supposed to be like a, a soul-searching, make yourself feel bad. It's really supposed to be a, hey, how are we doing in this? And then how can we step it up to the next level so that we can continue to be this place that God is calling us to be? So I want to pray for us. Um, as we close, and again, if you are like, man, I've got something intense going on in my heart, this is your day to say something about it. Um, I will stay up here for a minute, and um, you know, you can grab somebody else as well. But let's pray. I want to pray over um, just what God is doing and building in this place. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are building us into a people who are like you. Jesus, we thank you that you are leading us into good things as we are rising up to build the kingdom, both in our personal lives and together. And so I just pray over every single person here that they would feel met by your love. They would feel just, uh, just encountering your love on a regular basis. And Lord, I pray against every thought that would um, cause us to separate ourselves from you or withdraw from you. Lord, we bring those thoughts into your presence and ask you to transform them in our lives. And Lord, I just pray a blessing over every person here as they are following your leading, as they are allowing you to grow them. God, would you bless? I just, I just pray a blessing over everything you're already doing in them and an increase of that in Jesus' name. And I also pray just for your heart to be released over them and any person that needs extra protection from the enemy this week. We pray that over them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being here. We love you. Uh, We will see you next week.